Well, good morning to Maestro Church. This morning, uh, we will be continuing our sermon series, as Micah just mentioned, through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Today, we will begin in chapter 8, verse 16, and continue through the beginning portion of chapter 7 through verse 10. Uh, So we will be reading that text here momentarily, so I'd invite you to begin opening your Bibles uh, to Ecclesiastes 8 when you are able. But before we read today's text, either by way of reminder uh, for those of us who have been here, or if you haven't been through the series, a look back on what the preacher, King Solomon, has described to us thus far in Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes opens with Solomon stating that this life is meaningless here under the sun. Solomon then begins to give his readers a tour of this world. He retraces his own steps of his pursuit of meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in life. As Solomon leads us to consider the things of this life, he repeatedly pauses long enough for us to realize that if we try to draw meaning and purpose from that which is before us in this life, we will find that these things are only able to satisfy for a moment before they are drained dry and themselves become vanity. They will become hevel. This is true of our self-indulgence and pleasure. It is true of work and toil. All the wealth that one could accumulate in the building of a good name and reputation will also only become vanity. But Solomon has also, in moments, directed us to the triune God who we worship today. He is the Lord of heaven and of earth. And it is He alone who gives meaning in this life. As we saw last week, Solomon has begun to get very practical in the exhortation to his audience. Last week, Trent served us well in unpacking Solomon's description of what the life of the wise person will look like. The wise person will recognize that this world and the stories of our lives are framed with the character of the Creator, with a special emphasis on His sovereignty. But the wise will also consider the sinfulness of their own heart and fight against the bent that we all have towards the breaking of God's law. But the man or woman who is truly wise is the one who consistently looks to the Savior, Jesus Christ, above all. It is in this same flow of argument that we will be continuing this morning, beginning at the end of chapter 8. So let us turn our attention now to the text. We will begin reading our text in its entirety, beginning with Ecclesiastes 8, verse 16, and continuing through chapter 9, verse 10. So if you are able, I ask you to please stand as we receive together the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of Almighty God. Ecclesiastes 8, 16 and following. When I applied my heart to wisdom, to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw the work of God. 
that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, for both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the children, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after they go down to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that while that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In this world that God has made, meaning, rest, and belonging are all concepts that are inescapably intertwined. Every one of us in this room are accurately called creatures. We have a beginning. For there was a time when you did not exist, and then, in a moment, through an act of great love, you came to be. But as creatures, we are no more capable of creating meaning or giving ourselves a place where we belong than we are able to bring ourselves into existence. And yet, here we all exist. This brings us to the proposition from our text today, which is the question, where can we find rest under the sun? And as we consider this question, we will see from the Word of God how God has designed us to be creatures with meaning. He has designed us with a longing for a place where we can belong. And how God in Christ has given us a deep relational rest for our souls in this otherwise vain life. 
The first point we will consider in our search for rest and meaning is the work of God. The work of God. Look again at the first three verses of our text, beginning with chapter 8, verse 16. They say, When I, Solomon, applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God. But man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, However much man may toil in the seeking of it, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds, they are all in the hand of God. Solomon's near-exhaustive search for wisdom throughout the earth there is that he has been there's something that he has been continually confronted with in this search and that is the work of god this is something extraordinary to think upon this earthly king at the height of his powers who's commonly known as the wisest man to you and me is still looking for wisdom why is this is because he is still a mere creature like you and like me. As Solomon considers life in this world, he is confronted with something stunning as he sees God's hand at work. When we think of how it is that God has revealed himself to man in the first place, we tend to immediately jump to the words of the scriptures. And this is an excellent inclination because this is where God has most personally and clearly revealed himself in and through Jesus. But the Bible is not the only way that God has revealed himself to us. We do have special revelation in the form of the scriptures, but Solomon is being confronted here with the work of God through general revelation known as creation. Consider these other verses from the scriptures. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 say that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, and night to night they reveal knowledge. Or Romans 1, verse 19 and 20, it says that for what can be known about God is already plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul also in Acts 14 in one of his sermons says that God did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rain from the heavens and fruitful seasons all of which testify to who he is. God has certainly given us a revelation of himself so as to know him through everything that he has made. But Solomon also correctly concludes correctly when he says in verse 17 of Ecclesiastes 7, Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. 
even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. Solomon has seen the creating and sustaining work of Almighty God throughout all of life. But he also sees that there is only there in the person and work of God that wisdom can be truly found. So this must be the end. Hooray! He has found the source of his quest for wisdom, right? Well, not, not exactly what he was trying to get at. Though Solomon has experienced wisdom, it is not something that he is able to claim or take hold of himself in his pursuit. As he has said, he has seen it, but he cannot find it out. And this is very good news. The work of God in creation is vastly incomprehensible. The depths of it are unknowable and the extent is undiscoverable. And yet, it is also visible and experiential. The work of God does not just include creation out there, but it also impacts the creation right here. We as creatures take part in God's providential orchestration of all things. As we saw last week, God has orchestrated each and every one of our days here under the sun. This includes both the days which overflow with joy as well as those which are marked by adversity. But in chapter 7, we are encouraged to receive them all from the sovereign hand of God, trusting Him in the process. But here in the beginning of chapter 9, Solomon takes the same truth and applies it with a slightly different tone of application for God's people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9 with me again. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. This is one of the most glorious applications of a theological truth in all of the scriptures. That the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Friends, if you are here today and you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus as your only hope of righteousness, if you have abandoned your own striving after wisdom and good works, recognizing it as the hevel that it is, then I am pleased to assure you that you have a place where you belong in this world. You have a place where your soul can find deep rest and true meaning and purpose. Because you are in the hand of God. What good news this is. When we are confronted with the person and work of God, there can be no other response than to yield with an awesome fear. In this pursuit of true wisdom, Solomon has come to encounter the being who himself is wisdom. For us today, the psalmist records helpful words of instruction that we would do well to heed in Psalm 46.10, where he says that we should be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. This morning, friends, we have come to the city of the living God. 
as the author of Hebrews says. We are joined with the saints who are enrolled in heaven and with innumerable angels coming before the living God, the judge of all. And we also come to Jesus and his sprinkled blood that was poured out to save lost sinners like us. And through this glorious work of God, we have a place where we can find rest for our souls. Saints, I'd encourage you to pause for a moment and think about the greatness of the work of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who can know the mind of the Lord? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might repay? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, and to Him be glory forever. Amen. This brings us to the second and contrasting point from our text, which is the work of man. The work of man. Solomon has reminded us of the greatness of God as seen in his providential, sovereign guiding of all things. But in this next section of verses, the attention shifts from the work of the Creator upon the work of rebellious creatures. Read again verses 1 through 16 of chapter 9 with me. Beginning in verse 2. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. He who swears is as the one who shuns an oath. This is an evil that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go down to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they will have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Here in these verses we see a consideration of the human condition that under the sun. And again, it is not a very hopeful one for humanity at large. In Solomon's shift of focus, he observes that it is human actions that result in evil being done under the sun. These actions and their evil consequences are an overflow from the hearts of the children of men. As he says in verse 3. These statements are dire as Solomon does not lift them to an earth, does not limit them, excuse me, to an earthly region or a period of history. All sons of Adam follow after their father as their federal head, and they are also naturally bent to desire sin and bring about evil in all of their work. This doctrine of man's sinful dis- dec- 
Excuse me. This doctrine of man's sinful depravity is described in numerous places throughout the scriptures. Consider Psalm 53, 2 and 3, which says that God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt, and there is no one who does good, not even one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But this problem with sin is not only what it is, but it is also what it does. Sin is a breaking of God's laws, but the consequences of sin also move beyond that one simple action. When we sin, we reject God as the one who gives us our fitting place in creation. This always produces the fruit that Solomon at best calls vanity and more accurately calls evil. Sin should never be thought of casually because sin is something that goes all the way down. When we choose sin over God, we are actually causing ourselves to be disconnected from reality. Let me explain what I mean by this. Sin always moves us from who we were made to be by breaking fellowship that we were made to have with God. The sinner was or the sinner has lost their place of belonging and deep rest that only comes from their right fellowship with their creator. This results in anxiety. So when a person is disconnected from the Lord, we have also become disconnected from right relationship with the rest of creation as well. Without knowing who we are and what we are for, every other relationship under the sun becomes one of rivalry. The life lived in sin is a life lived without true meaning and purpose. And it is full of vanity. Verse 3b from our text says, Also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and afterward they go down to the dead. Every life that is lived here under the sun will end with this same event, being laid six feet under. Death. It is a sobering topic because at this point it is a near universal statistic. Verse 2 says that it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. Death does not play favorites. He is coming for us all. And yet, Solomon, when considering this universal reality, still has two different people in mind. Why is this? Look again at verse 4 of chapter 9 with me. 
It says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. He who is joined with the living has hope. This is an interesting point being made by Solomon the preacher, as it is an inversion of what he has already said back in chapter 4, in verses 2 and 3. How can people who are separated from God as a result of their sin with death lurking to snatch them up along with all other men who have ever lived have hope? This is a very important question from our text that you might be asking yourself here this morning without answers. The hope that Solomon here is talking about, that sinful man have is only found in the work of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism captures this well when it asks, Did God leave mankind to perish in the state of sin and misery? To which the Catechism responds, God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life. He did enter into a covenant of grace to restore them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. And this Redeemer would not be any ordinary man. But God himself sent his son Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who condescended into this life here under the sun, into our heaven. He lived a life that was bombarded with temptation just like us, and yet he lived without sin. He was taken and falsely accused and crucified, the sinless one dying in the place of sinners. And after being dead and buried for three days, he was risen. And he has now made his rightful claim as the ruler of all. And is now conquering each of his enemies until that great enemy death will be destroyed once and for all. But he who is joined with the living has hope. There's a beautiful second meaning to these words of Solomon as well. If you are here today... Heed the words of the proverb at the second half of verse 4. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Apart from Christ, all men can amount to is this dog. In Solomon's cultural context, this portrays a cruel and mean creature in the dog. But this is also us. If this is you, if you do not trust Christ, the hope you have today rests in the work of God. Your eternal destiny has not yet been sealed, as you are not yet dead. So, if this is you, hear the words of the Redeemer. Jesus said, come and repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for those who have turned from their sin and have placed their trust in Christ, 
verse 4 has another application. He who is joined with the living has hope, as Solomon says. The hope that the Christian possesses by means of God's work in their lives is that they are secure in the hand of God. Hear the words of Jesus himself from John 10, spoken to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What good news it is that we, the saints of God, have a place that we can call home. When we are home in the hands of God, we will find rest for our souls. This now brings us to our third and final point from today's text, which is the rest that comes from true work. The rest that comes from true work. Read again with me verses 7 through 10 of Ecclesiastes 9. They say, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white, not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. It is in this third point of our text that Solomon turns to address the righteous saints who have found their home in the hand of God. It is to the redeemed, those who are now able to understand true meaning, that he encourages towards pleasure and enjoyment as an overflow from the rest in the work of God. You see, when a a person is reconciled back into right relationship with their creator, their eyes are opened to the glory of wisdom and meaning that God has placed in all of creation. The only way that we can see things clearly and use them rightly is only through the lens of our reconciliation with our God. Brothers and sisters, it is only when we rest in the work of God that we can truly see the purpose God has placed in every object of creation. Everything that exists is a relational opportunity to get to know the creator of it better. Those relationships that once we had to view as rivalries, we should now rejoice in. We are fellow creatures that are joining in a symphony of praise with the rest of creation, all directed toward the triune God who is worthy of it all. So Christian, do not forget that vanity rests in the misuse of temporal things. But also, in a world full of vanity, Hear the solution to the preacher's were in the preacher's words. He says, "Go, for God has already approved of what you do." Now, this is not a license for us to return back into sin. 
On the contrary, but it is as the Garden of Eden we are being welcomed to partake deeply from all that the Lord has made to its intended end, glorifying Him as the giver of all good things. Break your bread with joy and be glad with your wine. Receive the gifts that the, from the Lord that they are. The Apostle James also commends this way of living when he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is our obligation as a redeemed people. We are to rest deeply in the work of God. Enjoying the gifts that he has given us with great joy and not afraid of of doing it loud enough that others might take notice as well. In verse 8, the preacher continues, Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This is a picture of white, this picture of white garments and oil being poured over the head were commonly associated in Solomon's day with festive occasions of celebration. But here, the redeemed are not simply called to occasionally rejoice in the rest that God has brought by his work. Rather, we should note the word always that the preacher attaches to this action. The Apostle Paul in Philippians also encourages Christians to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Solomon then gives his third commendation to the saints of God. Verse 9 says, Enjoy the life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. I would expect that these words written by Solomon were penned with a tear of regret coming from our wise sage. But can you think of a more clear way to display the gospel with our own lives? For when a husband loves his wife sacrificially, leading his home in faith by the continual laying down of his life, dying to himself and trusting for resurrection, God is so able to raise his meager efforts into a glorious display of the gospel in those who he is closest to. And then Solomon concludes our text with verse 10, which says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. The final way that Solomon shows us that our rest in God's work and how it's supposed to overflow is in our work. That, all of that which we put our hands to, Our physical labors are not necessarily opposed to our ability to rest in Christ. 
while we can be prone to abuse the capacity that God has given us in our ability to work, it is just another gift from God that can be used to know Him better. So may we continue to exert our might in the building of Christ's kingdom as we seek to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Saints, our lives here under the sun will most likely end in the same way as many of our mothers and fathers who have come before us. But hope remains that he who took, that he, excuse me, but this hope remains that he may look on death with joy when he can look on forgiveness with faith. So therefore, Emmaus Road Church, I ask you the proposition from our text again. Where can we find rest under the sun? The only place where we can find rest for our souls is in the renouncing and repenting from our own work. We can rest when we embrace God's work of salvation given through Jesus Christ. And as we rest in His work, We can receive all of the gifts of God with joy, rejoicing in in what Christ has done for you always, and give yourself to the work of love that flows from and reflects what Christ has already accomplished for his bride. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so so grateful that you have chosen to look on us with love sinners whose work amounts to no more than filthy racks lord we thank you for sending jesus your son who lived in our place perfectly who died bearing our sins and who has risen as the first fruits that we now are given hope of a future resurrection. Lord, would you impress your work more deeply upon your saints? Lord, would you help us to grow in our capacity to rest in you? Lord, that you would help us to be able to see when we step out of that rest and try to manipulate and use your good gifts for our own gain. Lord, would you help us to see the vanity that that pursuit is. And rather, Lord, would you help us to labor with our hands to turn that, those good gifts which you have given us back into glorious images that can display your goodness, your truth, and your gospel that we might see many other sinners just like us repent and turn to Christ. Lord, would you do this in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.